<laughs> when God's servant told me to come in today, I said, okay. Um, we have to just explain some things and do definition of terms. Since it's the first, it's the first session because a lot of buildings will be done and also given that this is a, a house where the word of God is taught in truth and verity. <laughs> so let's lift our hands one more time. Never get tired of worshiping God. The everlasting priesthood is not prayer. The everlasting priesthood is worship. He said forever and ever. The four beasts, they lift their voices and they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There's a realm we get to, we stop praying. We flow like a river into him. So as you attend, as you, as you climb the mountains of God, when you reach the pinnacle of that mountain, what you find is worship. You just pour into him and drink of him. Can you lift your hands and point to the Lord just worship him tell him how much you love him honor him magnify his name thank you father we love you we give you praise we give you glory even this morning Lord we are persuaded that you will pour of your spirit upon us mightily and will be elevated there will be a shift for everyone precious redeemer thank you lord in jesus precious name please let's be seated thank you so much choir and so i would attempt this morning to define the ministry of the fullness. You know, when you begin to journey with God and God sincerely wants to help you, one of the things he will do is to open you up to the scrolls. So you tap into knowledge that is not corrupt or defied. It is in those chambers that you can find out and understand the things that truly matter we are in a noisy world all kinds of sounds if you don't journey into that place of stillness you may walk through life and not really discern what matters you know Jesus was speaking and he made some very striking statements in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. The things that men pursue after, the things that define our daily walk, Jesus called them distractions. The cares of this world. Now, the cares of this world are legitimate concerns. It's not a sin. What to eat, what to wear, where to lay your head. This is not sin. These are legitimate things. 
But when he began to speak from the heights of Zion, he said, these things are a distraction. He now spoke about the deceitfulness of riches. How can a man labor? And when he finally apprehends, you now discover that ingrained intrinsically in the wealth acquired is a technology that deceives. And so when you start trusting God, perhaps what you call a breakthrough is to come to that point where you have some level of authority in wealth and finances. But Jesus began to speak from realms undefined. And he said, if you are not careful, that point of attainment, you will collide with a wisdom that is not of God. And that which you acquire will become the very thing that will deceive you out of reality. You now begin to wonder, what then should we live for? Because he didn't stop there. He now went further to other desires. And so what Jesus was teaching is the fact that any other thing you desire apart from God can ensnare you. And so there has to be a parameter of judgment, of guidance that helps you to monitor your desire. Because a point may come, your desire can become the reason why you walk out of God. And so he was not addressing sin here. But he was talking about legitimate things that can take the place of God. And so you will need God to whisper into your spirit to understand the things that really matter. And so when I saw the team for this conference, I knew there are elders. There are elders in this kingdom that ascend above all to look upon hallow things and point out the things that count. And one of such is what we are about to discuss this morning. The mystery of the fullness. The fullness. You know, God speaking to me, he told me, one of the things that is prime in my heart is intimacy. He said, if men will understand that nothing compares to just standing in his presence, just stand there. Just stand. He said, that's, that's, the, that's the greatest achievement of humankind. The ability to just stand. Elijah was in the palace. He said, before God, whom I stand. Not everybody has that kind of stature in Zion. When the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias, he looked at him and spoke. And Zacharias doubted him. He said, do you know me? I stand in the presence. Not every creature stands here. He said, who shall ascend the mountains of God? Who shall stand on his holy hills? You can have a billion people in the world. Not many can stand. And so if you are not careful, you may walk through time pursuing things and you may never stand. And when time is accomplished and you leave the envelope of reality into the realm where things matter, you will discover you are a stranger. And when the mortars look upon you, they will ask, who are you? Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This was a national prophet. But suddenly, he came where immortals stand. And he discovered he was a prophet, but he didn't have a place. And he said, woe unto me. So a man can walk through time 
and begin to curse himself in eternity because he doesn't have a place. He's naked. Where things really matter. Whoa! Unto me, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. How come I walked through time and I didn't have a place here? Intimacy. Simple word, but eternally heavy. And then, when I looked at the subject of the fullness, I wish somebody will make this his ambition. I just wish somebody made attaining this height his ambition. Let's read some scriptures. I don't want to start with bodies. I'm the first preacher. The ultimate manifestation of Jesus was not a miracle. The ultimate manifestation of Jesus was not the fact that he could raise the dead. Because there's a realm where people don't die. Raising the dead is necessary because he came into a fallen world. And so he needed to restore men. His ultimate manifestation was not to heal the sick. There's a realm where the body knows no corruption. The ultimate manifestation of Jesus was the fact that he could host the fullness of God. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, he said he pleased the Father. Now, if you are wondering why he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the foundation. He pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell, to dwell bodily. The ultimate manifestation of Jesus is the fact that for the first time, there was a location in the creations of God where God could be trapped. Because before the emergence of Christ, there was nowhere you could find the fullness of God. It was impossible. In fact, when Paul was teaching in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 16, he said, God dwells in light that is unapproachable. And God is light. That means God dwells in God. There's nowhere you can find God except in God. So God was secluded from creation. Every time God steps into creation, it was measures that were put in creation, even in heaven. Because there is a realm beyond heaven. If you study Ephesians chapter 4 verse 10, he said when Jesus ascended, he ascended above all heaven. There is a height above all heavens. Heaven is not the highest realm. There is a height where no creature can attain. That's where God hides himself. But oftentimes, God wants creation to participate with him. So he brings different measures and different dimensions of him into creation. In fact, the reason the 24 elders cannot stop bowing is because they've not exhausted the dimensions. When they look up, they see a dimension. 
they worship that dimension. When they look up again, they see another one. They worship. Then they look up, they see another one. And they have been doing that forever and ever. But for the first time, a man walked through the city of Galilee. And when they checked, the father, the son, and the spirit was walking bodily. It became a mystery that the world cannot understand. The first time the fullness of God was hosted was in the person of Christ. And so the greatest manifestation of Christ was his ability to trap the fullness of God in bodily form. He captured the whole of God. He captured the totality of God. He kept God within his chambers. That's why Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3 say, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in this last day spoken to us by his son, who being the heir of all things, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Jesus was the full manifestation of the glory and of the brightness of God. The first time God could be trapped was in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus left this world, it wasn't his intention at all for us to carry measures. And so in John chapter 1 verse 16, he said of his fullness. He was the fullness. Now he said of his fullness, have we all received? Of his fullness, have we all received from grace to grace? So as we journey from one level of grace to grace, what we are doing is the business of the fullness. What we are doing is to attain the fullness of the stature. That's why Ephesians 4.11, he said this, to some he gave to be apostles. To some he gave to be prophets. To some he gave to be evangelists. To some he gave to be pastors and teachers for the equipping. That means we needed to be trained to come into experiential manifestation of the fullness of God that is in our spirit. So the job of the apostle is not to heal the sick. The job of the apostle is not to prophesy prosperity. He will do that because there are still people growing. But the job of the apostle is to mentor the believer into the fullness. Because if you get into the fullness, sickness does not exist there. If you get into the fullness, poverty does not exist there. He said to mentor. The word is catatismos. It means to equip you with light until you become a custodian and a manifesto of the fullness of God. That's why I said, henceforth, not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we will come into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. So when you find a believer, a believer should be a replica of Jesus. If you find a believer that you can distinguish between him and Christ, he has not come into the fullness. The idea behind the fullness is to mass express God. So when you come to church, you find God sitting. When you go to the market, you find custodians carrying dimensions of God, walking on the street. This is why Christianity is not another religion. We respect all the religions of the world, but this is divinity expressed through humanity. This is mortality swallowed up by immortality. And so when we look at you, Paul said, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. When I see you, I want to see the first dimension of Christ that radiates. Please, let's sit. Hey, yeah. 
God is not looking for preachers. He's not looking for singers. He's looking for witnesses. Because a witness is a custodian. When he shows up, he reveals God. He can reveal God through singing. He can receive, reveal God through preaching. He can even reveal God through drawing. But anything he does, he emits God. Like a radiating agent. He emits God to a world. Because our world is full of darkness. They are looking for God. God is the cure of the affliction of this age. And so the error to brag with a title is over. The error to brag with a gift is over. The error to brag with a car is over. When you show up, they find out. What constituency of the spirit are you coming from? What dimension of God do you carry? Are you of the order of light? Are you of the order of the glory? Are you of the order? Because that's what the world is seeking. The ministry of the last day is the ministry of the fullness. That when men walk, it will be an army of Christ walking. When we enter a city, it's an army of Christ walking. And when you touch us, you know you've touched God. That's why Paul said, be a followers of me. Even as I'm the follower of Christ. If you see me, you've seen him. John said, as he is. Who talks like that? He knows where he's talking from. Because there's a reality that mortality must be swallowed up by immortality. There is a place humanity must get to where they become vital custodians of immortal dimensions. That when you talk to men and touch men, you touch God. One of the most troubling stories I heard in my life was the fact that India today is not a Christian nation because of Christians. Mahatma Gandhi was in South Africa. They spoke to him about Jesus. He was so fascinated and he wanted to know Jesus. And so he thought the natural thing to do or the best way to get to know Jesus is not just to read a book, but to find out those who have met him and see what they look like. Because at the end of the day, that's what he will also look like. And when he came into the gathering of the saints, he was segregated. And he said, if I have not seen you, I would have believed your Jesus. We must produce Bible, but there are no witnesses. The first witness is a man who has touched God. And so in the ministry of the fullness, our goal and our focus is to become the host of God. Because this is the burden of God from ages past. After he created the world, he needed to be a participator of the world he has created. But he was too big for the world. And so there was no dwelling place for him. In Isaiah 66 from verse 1, he said, where is the house that you have made for me? He said, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. But where is the house that you have prepared for me? And Paul came through spiritual technocracy. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19, he said you are the house of God. You are the tabernacle of God. You are the host of God. You are the answer to the question God has been asking for ages past. And so every time you want to find the fullness of God, you are supposed to come look for believers. And then we ask you, which of his dimension are you looking for? Is it his power? 
Is it his excellence? Is it his wisdom? Is it his authority? Is it his glory? We buffet him. We are a buffet of God. Because when you enter the glory, you will discover. See, the reason God created you the way he did was not because he wanted to be creative. The reason he created you the way you are is because every part of you represents something in the glory. The hand of God is power. That's why I say lay hands on the sick. Your hand is a symbol of power. God's hair is his purity and his agelessness. So when we talk immortality, that's why when men grow old, their hair becomes white. Because when you see God, his hair is white. He speaks of purity and agelessness. God's face is his presence. He speaks of his government. That's why when you look at a man, if he's wrong, he knows. Your judgment is communicated through your sight. God's feet is his reign. That's why it's anywhere you step to, I've given to you as a possession. Because his reign is in his feet. He shall put his enemies at his footstool. And he said, where the soles of your feet shall step to, I have given to you. You are a reflector of the glory. But you need to understand the technology of hosting and manifesting God. Because the whole idea behind the fullness is to host him and to express him. Some of us, we've represented and manifested where we came for, from for too long. When you speak, in fact, you take pride in the fact that you are from the eastern part of Nigeria. We are wise people. They, don't, they know they cheat us. That's a falling level of life. I'm from the, I'm from the west. We are educated. Every compound, there's a professor. A professor trained by mundane people. Whereas, there, there are lecturers in light. There are elders in the spirit. That don't only teach but transfer reality. <laughs> Paul was bragging like that. That he was the, the, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Bragging with mundane knowledge. Until a time came he said, I knew a man many years ago. Whether he was in the flesh or in the spirit, I can't tell. But that man was carried to the third heaven. He knew a place that was superior to all the lecture rooms he entered on it. That bragging ended. A generation that brags with suit. Brags with where they've gone to. I was in the UK yesterday. Really? Do you know that while you are saying you were in the UK yesterday, somebody is still standing in the presence of God. I was in the UK when men are saying, before God whom I stand. And they became so immortally relevant. Did you not read about Elijah? Only Elijah lived in this world four times. God was looking for a way of reproducing Elijah because he lives in the presence. The Bible said, Elijah the Tishbite, we didn't know how he came. He came from nowhere and he went back to nowhere. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, came to the king and said, before God, whom I stand. And after Elijah was carried to heaven, we thought his story was over. And then a voice was heard in the wilderness. And he said, it shall come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And we thought that was over. Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then Elijah came again and began to tell him what he will do in Jerusalem. As if that was not over, he said, there are two witnesses who are still coming. Elijah will come again. 
One man, one man is so relevant that God has to bring him to the earth again and again and again. And we are bragging that we went to the United States. Is it not the Bible that said, hear this, it is appointed to man to die once, then judgment. How come this Elijah, it looks as if he has become indispensable in the economy of God. I thought God is called the I am that I am. He depends on no one to be God. How come Elijah's dispensation can't finish? But Elijah finished one lifetime. God said, no, if you don't go back to earth, there will be trouble. We give you another lifetime. And he comes and executes a project and goes back. God said, you will still go back. What kind of man is that? Those are carriers of the fullness of God. There's something they know. They are immortally and eternally relevant. No wonder God could not afford to put his body in debt. Because God, we need to use him many times. Because God knew he was going to use him many times. He refused for him to die. Because if this body decays, I need you again. I need you. If you finish now, there will be a problem in the world. And every time Elijah came, if he didn't come, there will be a crisis on the earth. Because if he didn't come to announce the coming of Jesus, there will be no savior. If he didn't come to tell Jesus what to do in Jerusalem, there will be no cross. So the man was so important that the earth was shaped by his life and ministry. The ministry of the fullness. The question this morning is, how much of him fullness have you received? But how much of him have you apprehended? And so the first thing we know about the ministry of the fullness is the fact that man is God's habitation. Where God decides to put his totality in. But over and above that, in the technology of the fullness, we also want to know how to apprehend this fullness of God that is on our inside. Because all of God can be you, but you may never experience all of God. And so there's a technology for working out the fullness of God in the life of a man. And I give you three, which is the basis of my teaching. There are three governments that ensures that a man walks in the fullness of God. The first is the government of life. The second is the government of light. And the third is the government of the presence. You find a man who is walking in ever increasing measures of God. He is doing business with life. He is doing business with light. And he is doing business with the presence of God.
You know, what we are dealing with here is a different syllabus. But it does not undermine natural realities. I want to say this because I'm seeing some young people here. Before somebody goes and pack his things and leave the university and say, no wonder they said it. I knew I was wasting my time. I also went to school. <laughs> In recent times, I discovered there's a strange way people here. I went somewhere, preached a message, stirred hunger in the hearts of people, and a 500 level medicine, medical student packed his bag from school and traced me from Ilorin to Benue. That God told him he will stand in his place. I said, No, 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 no. That's not how they stand. Even your lecture hall, you can stand. <laughs> Pursuit of God does not mean your mind should not be refined. In fact, one of the problems we have in the church today is because people of unrefined minds drag a lot of things into kingdom that is not kingdom. That's why you are seeing native doctors now on the altar and doing strange things and they call it prophetic action. <laughs> so please, do business, excel in life, participate in politics, do everything you need to do. In fact, when I round up, you understand that when you attain fullness, then government begins. And in government, we take and conquer every mountain of influence. So please. So there are three governments that makes for the activation of the ministry of the fullness. The first is the government of life. It will be impossible for you to touch or grow in God until his life is imputed into you. In fact, the moment life shut down, man lost growth and ascension in God. This is what the Bible calls death. When Adam disobeyed God, he said, in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. And Adam actually died. But we saw that death is beyond cessation of life. Because every man God has created, we live forever and ever. Because we came from God, we can't end. And so when God is speaking about death, he's not talking about cessation. He's talking about two things. The first thing God is talking about is separation. You are separated from the realm of God. You no longer participate in that realm. The realities that flow out of that realm, you are cut off those realities. And so you become alien. Whereas you were created to live in with God. And so when you can no longer live in and with God, it is termed a state of death. It's not necessarily cessation. And then the second thing the Bible defines as death is corruption. Corruption. The moment a man is separated from God, the quality and the essence of his being begins to degrade in value. A degradation begins to take place. So if you look at him after a while, there's nothing about him that looks like God anymore. 
he becomes completely alien. His thought patterns, his actions will be contrary to the ways of God. So death is separation and corruption. And so when the technology of life begins to work, what it does is that it reverses the protocol of corruption and it also begins to draw you into God's presence. And so when the ministry of the fullness begins in a man's life, what the Holy Ghost does is that he imputes the economy of life back into that man. That's what happened to you when you received Christ. But it's more than just receiving life. It's about yielding to life until life begins to make you and defy corruption in you and draws you back to God's presence. You may receive life, but you are not operating by life. And so when life comes, life activates a law. That's what Romans 8 verse 2 talks about. He said, the law of the spirit of life have set me free from the law of sin and death. So when you receive Christ, inherent within you now is a law that seeks to alter corruption and also draw you back to God's presence. So a man can have Christ but negates the promptings of life. And so he has Christ, but he will never walk in the fullness. He will begin to grow into the fullness when he begins to yield to the promptings of life that is on his inside. It is as good as natural birth. When a child is born, the first thing that child does is to look forward to it. You don't need to take the child to school to teach the child hunger. The child comes out immediately crying because the law of life insists that for this child to live, the child must eat. And what we eat is the presence of God. And so what the law of life will do is to begin to prompt you, prompt you to seek God and prompt you to adopt the ways of God as your way. Because if that doesn't happen, you cannot come to that point where you serve God. And the proof that a man is beginning to yield to the promptings of life is not religion, it's sonship. When a man begins to yield to the dictates of life, when you look at him, the law, the protocol of sonship begins to grow on his inside. And there are two things that define sonship. The first thing that defines sonship is imaging. Imaging. Every time you see a son, he reflects the father. So when you see a man who is praying, don't be moved. Check the character. We are in a generation where people brag with prayer and do all kinds of things in the name of prayer. The highest arrogance you see in church today is when people are praying. Talking things that are not consistent with the nature and the character of God's spirit. When you look at them, you know this one is religion. It is just flesh boasting itself. It's flesh. This is flesh at work. But when a man begins to yield to life, because life will tell you to pray. Life will tell you to study. All of those are the things life does. But the sign that it is life at work is that sonship will begin to emerge. And sonship is imaging. They say in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. In Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3, when he spoke about him as the son, he called him the brightness of his glory. It's called imaging. Sonship, if you see my son, he's a, a, a small version of me. In fact, 
Some of the characters I exhibit. <laughs> at six months, the mom will look at him and say, this is you. And I can't deny it. It's imaging. The guy is a hard man. You can't stop him. <laughs> what kind of stubbornness is this? He took it from somewhere. My head is like a rock. I'm a star. At eight months, the guy is already rocky because he's imaging the father. He cannot do otherwise. And so what life does is to bring you to a point where you image God. And so when we see you, what we see now are things that are traced beyond you. We begin to hear echoes, characters, conducts, operations, that are deeper than you. Even if we probe you to your last ancestor, we know that this goodness is not in them. We know that this brokenness is not in them. We know that this kindness is not in them. Yes, you, you are a bit kind, you are kind, but we, don't, we know this thing didn't come from your father because your father was not so kind. You are so broken. Your, your father is humble, but your grandfather is arrogant. So when we trace your lineage, we know that some of these godly tendencies you are exuding now is because you have bicoted a natural lineage and you have connected to a spiritual lineage. And so when life begins to prompt you, you begin to resemble God. That resemblance is what we call the fullness. Because when God dominates you, he permeates you. And that permeated version of you is what reveals God. This is beyond talking about God. This is becoming like God. This is beyond coming to church. This is reflecting God. Even in the market where we find it. Most times, what happens is in church is masquerading. Everybody is acting pious, sanctimonious. Find them in the office. Find them in the midst of heated argument. Find them in the market. You will discover there is a spiritual bipolar disorder taking place here. Infused by religion. But a man who is yielding to life, it becomes natural. Even in the heart, the heat of argument and controversy, he's the way he is. He's stable. There's gravity. That one has become a son. That's the type God can vet and say, this is my beloved son. He is like me in all conditions. But you don't read that. You become that. And the way you become it is through the promptings. Sometimes you are reading the Bible. And then you see a verse and life stops you there. Life will stop you there. And you will look at that verse. Sometimes you will weep. Is life working? Sometimes somebody is preaching a message. And a word comes. Life catches it. And it puts it on your heart. The whole message is not what you are looking for. It is that capsule of light, life that came in the world that blesses you. Because he said, the words I speak is not a lecture. It is spirit and life. So as God is talking, that capsule will, will be the one consistent with your, your, your fall. And so it will hit you and life will keep it on you. Like an antidote, it will saturate a portion of you and kill it. Because what life will do is that it will mortify. Light mortifies. Life mortifies. Light transforms. But the presence transfigurates. And so when life begins to walk, it brings sonship out of you. And the way it does it is that it mortifies the fall. 
it mortifies the flesh. It kills the dictates, the promptings of the flesh. If you read this same scripture, now we are talking about Romans 8 verse 2. As you come to verse 19, you will see what the Bible says. It said the earnest expectation of creation waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. That means what he was doing in verse 2 is to culminate in verse 19. And then if you read verse 21, he said creation is in bondage. But creation will be set free when sons arise. The word set free in verse 21 is the same word set free in verse 2. It's called elutero. Because when life begins to work on you, there is an intrinsic ability that comes into you. That ability of life is what mortifies the flesh so that the glory can arise on your inside. Many people have Bible verses, but they've not given life a chance. Because sometimes you can read a Bible verse and then life will whisper behind that verse, take a three days fast. The power of that verse is not that you recited it, is that you were able to pick what life whispered under that verse. That one is the power for sonship. And so the second thing for sonship that life also brings in you is obedience or yieldedness. You see, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So two things happen when life is at work. Number one, image. The image of God begins to form. And that image of God forms because of the mortification that life brings to the flesh. And then the second thing is that life will bring you back to God's presence because of the obedience that life insists on. If mortification and obedience does not take place, you can never come to the fullness. If you like being church for 30 years, you will see how helpless church will be to bring you to the fullness. If church will help you, it's because life, through the words, through the worship, we collide with you and you will respond to life. Many times, people refuse to respond to life until the pastor by the spirit is compelled to give a commandment they will still not obey. And then they brag that they've been in church for 10 years. No. It is mortification and obedience that produces imaging and yieldedness. And it is those two that allows life to have its full measure. And when life begins to have its full measure, then fullness can begin to happen. We have too many Christians who don't look like God. We have too many believers who are only professing to be Christians. But when you see them in their original element, you will know that something else is powering them. Because if life doesn't power you, death will power you. If your receptacles are not sensitive to life, it will be sensitive to death. Did you see Jesus? He came to the Pharisees. They perfected religion. And he looked at them. He said, well, I'm not moved by rituals. You are of your father, the devil. The lust of your father, shall you do? Because that intrinsic one is superior to the extrinsic one. That inner one is superior to the outward one. The outward one can be a lie, but the inner one can never be a lie. You can do religion, but your lust is what defines you. And if your lust is substituted to the operations of life, even if you don't have a religious activity to engage in, you will still become like God. This is why the men of old, when they didn't have organized churches to help them, they still carried so much God that we only read about. Because the inner one is superior to the outer one. 
Don't get me wrong. Church helps and facilitates growth. It's a great blessing that we have a church where we come to hide and be built up. But over and above that, there is an operation taking place on your inside. It may not be loud. It may not sound religious. But if you know from here that that thing happening on your inside is the prompting of life, you will not know it. Because usually the way it works is that it draws you to where it has authority. So it draws you to God's presence. It draws you to a fellowship. It draws you to a word. It draws you to prayer. As it's happening, just follow it. Don't think, don't seek of seeking an angel. Just follow it. Follow it gradually. You may come to the prayer and sleep throughout. Next week, the prayer is on. It will still say, come. Just keep coming. It's growing. Lost is fighting life. But if you give life a chance, it will subdue lust. Sometimes you carry a message. You say, hear this message. You put the message, you sleep off. Don't worry, be sleeping. If the devil can sow why men slept, God too can sow why men sleep. Just be hearing. Sometimes he puts the message, the, the, the worship of a minister. You are just hearing the man, hearing the man. You think you are enjoying and don't see the singing. Don't see the singing. And you think you are having a good time. After a while, when you go to the bus, you are no longer with the tape, but the song continues. And this time around, you are no longer singing and dancing. You are being instructed. Because the word that he spoke in that song become a teacher in your spirit man. And that teacher will come with Koboko to shape you until you obey. Sometimes if you refuse, even when you go to sleep, the song will still be singing. Because that's life at work. You can't sleep away from here. There is a realm where men don't sleep. Because even while you say you are sleeping, your spirit is alive. So the teacher will continue. That's how men gradually enter the frequency of life. And when they enter, sonship is born. Everything we'll be doing in this conference will be to help you not your life. Everything. The instructions, the teachings, the impartations. All of that is to help you not your life. Because your transformation is at the mercy of how much you yield to life. God decided to make it in such a way that nobody can deny. It is happening deep on your inside. You can't deny it. In fact, when life becomes strong in you, you will discover you have a problem with somebody and you lose your sleep. If you like, go to a, a stadium, fly to London and watch Chelsea. When you are done shouting, the moment you come out of that match, the teacher will come back and say, that argument, you were wrong. You were wrong. You may be a governor. Nobody can tell you the truth to the face, but not life. The voice of life will rebuke you and it will rebuke you without quoting the words. It will tell you you were wrong. In fact, it will go further and tell you you were manipulative when you were talking. And when you want to argue, you say, you are becoming a beast. And if you don't stop, you say, if you don't stop, you will die. Nobody can tell you that. Some people are so big that even their pastor are careful in talking to them. Not life. Because life is a mortar. It existed before you were created. And so there's nothing you become that life will fear you. The ministry of the fullness. It's an organic ministry. It works in the hearts of men with a desire to mortify their flesh so that the propensities of the spirit that is locked in them can find expression. Aliyah! 
लिया है यू सी वेन दिस थिंग बिगान टू ग्रो इन मी आई डिट नो वॉट इट वॉज देर वॉज ए टाइम दैट लाइफ began to subdue me life began to subdue me i was struggling with lust our world is wicked you turn to your phone you see naked people you turn to movies you see naked people you say okay you are no longer watching you go to the market you see naked people what do we do should we go and hide in the bedroom i will take 3 days and fast The moment I'm coming out of fasting, I'm seeing a naked person. How are you? I'm looking for where they say big. You are looking for where they say big. It's in front of my house. Does this look like a shop? And the devil keeps sending arrows, sending arrows. Lord, what do I do? I've had people's messages. I've applied them. I've asked for counsel. No one is working. And the Lord told me the answer is on your inside. follow the promptings follow follow there's a realm called the invincible realm follow and i started listening and the first place it started from it say forgive he didn't talk about lust forgive and i am a high tempered person if you try it i tell you immediately he say no don't respond forgive somebody will offend me i will come and sit down and justify why the person should be the one to apologize he just say forgive I will go with body and say you know that thing that happened you were wrong but it's okay <laughs> Say that's not what I told you to do I say forgive Ah Ah I'll say okay when the next one happen and I will ignore I kept struggling until a point came as I began to yield to the promptings You will come as if you are dying you say sorry the person will now look at you I thought you say you we will fight i was ready for you <laughs> you will die you will die and god will not come and pacify you he will not keep quiet when you die a measure of flesh will now die now all of those strands of flesh are what demons coordinate together to build lust but a superior teacher in wisdom is now training you When he finished with that, he took me to another point. He said, "Give people will come to use me." He will say, "Give them." Ah. Sometimes I will give and I will have nothing. He said, "Give." I said, "Lord, are you trying to bless me? Is it about reward? We are not talking reward. We are saving your soul." And I kept giving. I kept giving. I migrated from there. I went to another level. He said, "Don't seek honor." Ah. They will come to a place you will hide behind for a long season. After he dealt with all of those things, he now enter prayer. I will sleep at night, he will wake me. He will wake me. Some people think to deal with lust is to start with prayer. That play, that prayer can ride on your lust. Because now that you know you have a uh, stamina in the place of prayer, you will now wait. When they are talking prayer you stand up you say these people they are not ready wait let me drill them pride we now anchor on that prayer everybody is praying you are just doing like this that means 
They are learning. They are learning. When I carry the mic today, then you now carry the mic. Ikobo, Avelo, Jazolo. Yo, the first, in the first five minutes, you want everybody to know the difference in atmosphere. You just want them to see first. Let them know the difference. Zebolula, Zababodo. When you now, when you now finish stratifying the atmosphere, you now pocket your hand and say, you see, this is what we have been trying to tell you. You will die in secret sin. Because that flesh, the devil will use that flesh in another corridor to kill you. It was after God dealt with a lot of things before he started talking prayer with me. And when I started praying, I knew what help meant. You will pray for 15 minutes. It looked like 10 hours. Shabba, shabba. He now told me, put your work clock by the side. We are traveling. We are journeying. Put your work clock by the side. That was when I knew the layers of ascension. Because he wanted to carry me to the presence. It's in the presence that transfiguration takes place. But life will be the one to help you go there. Because life will mortify. Light will renew. But only the presence transfigures. Because it's in the presence you were created. The substance of your making is in the presence. But it will take renewal of mind and mortification of flesh to enter the presence. And so when God was teaching me about life, the final corridor we entered was the journey to the presence. And we began. The first thing was to kill distractions. It took many months. That was when I knew prayer doesn't end when you say in the name of Jesus. As you finish saying in the name of Jesus, it will tell you to off your phone, your, delete your Facebook. Because it's fighting distraction. Those are weights pulling you down. As you are trying to ascend, they are like bags of stone drawing you down. Anxiety, fear, reproach, anger, bitterness. They are weights in the spirit. That's why I said to put aside every weight that doth easily beset you. It's in the corridor of spirit life that you will understand it. And I will struggle, pray for two hours. I'm still with bitterness. He will say, you can't travel. You are heavy. There is a wind waiting for you. And the eagle, it mounts on the wings. You can't find your wings if you are heavy. Alight yourself of burdens. And you will pray for hours. Pray for days. Pray for weeks until you are rid of burdens. When those weights begin to fall, then you know that ascension is about to begin. All of that is the technology of life. That's why I tell people, life, prayer is not judged by time. No, prayer is judged by ascension. How far are you going? Because you and I can pray in this room. One person will go to Zion. Another person will remain here. It depends on how light they are in the spirit. Because when the eagle wants to ascend, he looks for the wind. He mounts it. He mounts it. But you are, if you are heavy, you can't catch the wind. And so what prayer will do first is to rid you of weights. You will be there praying in tongues. The weight is there. You will keep eating different boiling points. A point will come. Anger will go. The bitterness we go. The malice we go. As they are going, you will now discover you will enter the second level. The second level is the realm of stamina. Stamina, not because you are there for long, 
but because you are focused. Because when distraction is taken, you zoom into God. You know that your prayer is beginning to go far. And as you are praying, you can be on one thing for four hours. Tata, rakakata, sadaka. Even when you stop praying and you go out of your house, your attention is still there. That means you are still praying. You have stopped the activity, but prayer has not ended. Because the, day, the moment you say amen, that's when God will start talking. And you will discover you have trained your focus. That focus you have developed is what we call spiritual stamina. And as you build on stamina, build on stamina, you will enter the third layer. That's the realm of charging. He said, you dearly beloved, building up yourself in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. In the realm of charging, what God does is that he brings supplies. That's when you can now sense the anointing, like oil. The oil will literally begin to flow. You can touch it. You now know that you are no longer natural. At that level, you become a battle axe. That's where your spiritual sense is open. You can be praying, and suddenly, the contract you are bidding for will open before you. And you begin to see what you need to do. You are no longer functioning with your mind. You have entered a heightened realm. Everything in you that is of God begins to open. Begins to open. Ah, that's when you start enjoying prayer. The first two is spiritual discipline. But this one is rest. Because sometimes as you are praying, the energy will come on you so much, it will break you. And you will find yourself on the floor. Ah, ah. Ah, ah, you can do that for four hours. It's no longer you praying. There is a spirit praying from within you. You have entered another realm. Sometimes as you are doing that prayer, the whirlwind will carry you and you will find yourself from your altar. Something is happening that you can't contain. Your courtesy goes away. Your composure goes away. Your coordination goes away. A lion is about to come out of your inside. Sometimes as you are praying, you will discover the heat will be too much. You will melt. In the place of prayer, you will melt. You will find your body squeezing. Squeezing. You don't know what is happening. God is rebuilding you. He's rebuilding you. All of that is life at work. Life will take you from distraction, take you into focus, and then will take you into realm of fire, where you are charged. And when a man becomes charged, all he's waiting for is God. Nothing moves him anymore. And then when you hit that realm, then the realm of the voice will open. That's when you will hear, come up Peter. Come up Peter. He said, I, John, I was in the eye called Patmos. And I heard a sound as of a trumpet. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He said in Revelation 4, 1, the same voice that spoke to me, he spoke and said, come up here. And as I turned, a door opened in heaven. These are technologies in life. Many have been in church, but they've not journeyed in life. There is a realm beyond the stars. And that's where our true fellowship is. When we gather here, we migrate. We don't stop here. That's why we worship. That's why we pray. That's why we share the word. We want to go to where true fellowship takes place. The fullness is a technology. It's a technology. And when you are done with the voice, then the judgments of God are committed to you. Because a man who carries the fullness 
is a judge. He advances kingdom. And that's why when you ascend the mountain, the next thing you hear in Psalm 24, he said, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the king of glory might come in. A man who carries the fullness is a kingdom functionary. Everywhere he comes, he establishes the government of God. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Did you not read about Jesus? He said the moment he talked about being the brightness of his glory, he said, upholding all things by the word of his power. Our world will remain dark unless carriers of the fullness emerge. Our world will remain iniquity because iniquitous spirits are controlling the world until carriers rise. The, the demons are not moved by a preacher. When you show up, they look at you. They went to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, turn this stone to bread. It's demons you cast out, not principalities. You think the person who sits on government creating corruption is a demon? Is a prince. You think young ladies just woke up overnight and suddenly redefine beauty and think beauty is nakedness. You don't know that there are other teachers teaching in the spirit. Suddenly beauty is now nakedness. A whole world rises up and suddenly wants to redefine marriage. That marriage is between two adults. They mustn't be male or female. They suddenly became wise. They are princes. In every dispensation, the gates of Hades open. And princes come to the earth. That's why we need carriers of the fullness. Those who can look at the princes and say, go back. And the prince, we have no choice. Those who can say, Lord, restore. And it must happen. Because when they speak, heaven back them up. It's called the ministry of the fullness. And that's why the ministry of the fullness begins with life, light, and then it enters the presence where men are reconfigured. So when that is done, we can bring kingdom. When you enter there, you are regulated by holiness. Because where the fullness of God is, is called holy. And when you enter holiness, only one will stands. Only one purpose stands. And when you insist that only one will stands, what you are doing is that you are establishing government. I don't have time to talk about light. So I wanted to stop only on the subject of life because every of us know life. The same way a child of one day old understands hunger. That's, why you, that's how you too understand hunger. You can't deny it. But when a conference like this is put together, it's to help you nurture life and to grow by life. Most of us, our life quota in the spirit is low because we've not nurtured it. We've not nurtured it because we've not yielded to the promptings. And so in this conference, God is calling men back. Don't be big on earth and small in the spirit. Don't be known on earth and be a stranger in the spirit. There is a word for us to colonize. And God is not sending angels here. Is sending sons. And you and I are the ones God is sending. But when you go to the field, what is your measure? What is your measure? That's the cry of the spirit this morning. Because there is a regulation in the spirit. It's called life. This morning, before I pray, I want to make another call. Some of us, we've never 
come into the fellowship of the life. And some of us, we've received the life, but we've never nurtured it. The Bible said in 1 John chapter 5, from verse 11 to verse 13, he said, this is the record. You don't pick this life by eating rice and beans. He said, this is the record. That God had given to us eternal life. And he said, this life is in his son. He said, whoever had the son has life. And whoever had not the son had not life. He said, these things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so just in case you are here this morning, it will be a two-category call. You are here this morning and you've never, maybe you were born into a church, <clears throat> but you've never consciously declared that I believe in Jesus to be the son of God, to have died for my sins, to have been buried and to have risen from the dead for my justification. Maybe you've not made that confession. This is a good time. Because in this conference, men will journey. And it doesn't take time. It takes you deadness and intensity. Somebody may give his heart to Christ today and he will ascend the mountain before the conference is over. But may it not be you who will walk out of this conference without consciously making that decision. He said, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What we are talking about here is beyond human intelligence. These are realities in the league of immortals. And so if you are here this morning and you want to say, Jesus, I think I believe this thing today and I want you to be the Lord of my life without shame, without reproach. I want you to stand wherever you are quickly. I'll do another call for those who are believers but have not given themselves to life. You are missing out because there is something awaiting you in glory. And this conference will not be over until you attain it. Do we have anybody standing? Ushers, can you help me? If you are standing, Jesus said, if you are not ashamed of me before men, I will not be ashamed of you before my father. Walk to the altar quickly. as they come up celebrate them they are still coming don't get tired these are souls Jesus died for
I still see people coming from the back. We'll wait for the last person. Hallelujah. The Bible revealed to us how we died. We died in the rebellion and disobedience of Adam. And the reason is because we are all connected to Adam. Adam was the first man created. Every man came out of him. And so when Adam chose the path of rebellion, we all became guilty. But thank God the first Adam is not the only Adam. God sent another Adam and he called him a life-giving spirit. And so the way you are born again is to accept the life of the first Adam. And that life will become your life to walk in glory. And you do that simply by believing in your heart that he is and he is the son of God that he died for your sins he was buried and three days later, he rose from the dead. And having believed that, you will confess with your mouth and call him Lord. Lord means owner, master of my life. Your coming out is an indication that you are willing to do this. So place your hands on your chest as a sign of surrender. It's not religion. And say, dear heavenly father, I believe in my heart that Jesus is your eternal son that he died for my sins and he rose again the third day for my justification. I confess with my mouth today that Jesus is the Lord, the owner and the master of my life. I receive eternal life into my spirit. I am born again. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Father, bless and keep these ones and cause these ones to grow into the fullness of the potential of eternal life. In Jesus' precious name. Now, hear this. Just look towards my right, which is your left. There's somebody standing there to help counsel you. What happened now happened in your spirit. You need to be taught how to bring it to your mind. And so go there. They will tell you how you will be trained and built up. You can go now. God bless you. Celebrate them. I'm a new now, hear this. You don't need to come out. But see, spirits are legalistic beings. They don't make assumptions. Most of us, through our will, we've rebelled against God. And we've truncated the operations of life in our spirit. This conference has come to reinvigorate and to quicken the spirit man. Because there's a journey of ascension this week. I'm sure by the time we get to the second day, the literal cloud of glory will be falling here. It will be from glory to glory to glory. And you don't want to miss out on anything God will be doing. And so you are here this morning. You have already made that public, you know, acceptance and 
alignment with Jesus. You don't need to come out. But you want to rededicate yourself and submit your will completely to God. So life can prompt you. and Life can carry you all the days of your earthly living. Place your hands on your chest. Rebellion, the Bible calls the sin of witchcraft. It's a terrible thing in the eyes of God. And so that commitment and rededication must be genuine and trust him by the help of his grace to carry you on as we proceed in this weekend. Say, precious Father, I commit my heart to you. I submit my will to you. I submit my emotions to you. I submit my mind to you. Lord, I ask that you forgive all my rebellion and I pray this morning that you will cause your spirit and your grace to mantle me afresh and restore me on this part of immortality. Lord, every blemish on my soul, I decree this morning that by the power of the blood, it's purged away. And every reproach on my life, on account of iniquity, under this presence, I ask, Father, that they will pass away. Going forward, help me to stand for you. You say, no one that cometh to you shall you in any wise cast away. This morning, I submit and I surrender all. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' precious name. Can you stand up and lift your hands and worship God? Let the dew of God's presence rest upon us. Ah.